read scripts. To write screenplays. To watch a film. Get feedback. Read scripts. Write pages. Watch a lot of movies. Get feedback. Reading. Write. Watch movies. Get that feedback. I basically learned by reading screenplays. I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. It goes without saying that one needs to watch lots of movies. Get feedback. You need to read scripts by professional screenwriters and see what they do and realize that we have a lot of latitude to tell the story the best way it needs to be told. Reading scripts is absolutely critical, particularly scripts written in the last five years because the style changes constantly. And so people who tell you, well, you can't do this, you can't do that, um, much more important for you to read scripts of professional writers, movie scripts, where you are seeing how professionals approach the writing and you're then taking that knowledge and bringing it to bear on your own writing. For me, when people think they can write scripts without reading scripts, it's like going to a classical concert and listening to a piece of classical music and thinking, oh, I love this music. I'm gonna go home and write some music now. And just writing music randomly with dots and squiggles because you know there's dots and squiggles and lines and just kind of writing some sort of a document that you think looks like sheet music and then handing it over to someone and expecting them to play, they're not gonna understand. And it's like an architect going, you know, if you see a beautiful building and you think, oh, this building's really beautiful, I love this building, and I like buildings and I understand buildings and I, I like Art Deco style, I'm gonna go home and design a building and you just kind of design the building without having looked at blueprints or read sheet music. That's why you've gotta read scripts. A movie is not a script, it's a, it's a different thing. They serve different kind of functions almost. Be different. Don't, just because you've read a book on screenwriting, don't follow that exact format. Uh, read screenplays. Read every screenplay you can, from amateur to professional. Uh, look movies you've watched, get those screenplays. Especially sites like, I don't even know if it still exists, but like Drew Scriptorama or anywhere that, that houses screenplays, or if you, especially if you live in LA, there's stores that sell them. Uh, try to get early drafts of scripts and understand the changes that they made to production. I think the more you read and, and see the evolution of how, how writing is changing over the years, um, how character development and dialogue and just all the different, I, I think it's about looking at all the different, because you know the, there isn't one set format for writing a screenplay. There used to be, it's not so much anymore, but I think the more you, you read, you just filter through, this works for what I'm doing, this doesn't work but you just see the way that people use description. Um, it's just practice. I think one of the best tips is, uh, it was on, I heard uh, a, sh a female showrunner say, when she came out to LA, she spent the first year reading every single pilot that had been picked up that she could get her hands on. And that could, and also maybe reading pilots of series from a couple of years ago. I do feel, and that's when I, I said like Shakespeare for me was one of my best teachers, uh, just understanding how well defined his characters were, uh, the dialogue and um, the, the conflicts and the, you know, the characters' needs and wants and what gets in their way and I mean the, the stakes. You don't get bigger <laughs> than Shakespeare with Macbeth or Hamlet and um, so uh, there are great teachers and great, like Matthew Weiner, re, you can watch Mad Men, absolutely. Uh, you know, you can watch a lot of series, but there is something about seeing the written word. The fastest way of learning screenwriting is very easy. Read scripts. That simple.
So people who um, write novels very often just sit down in their computer and they start writing. But chances are they've read lots of novels in their lives, almost certainly. So there's this famous saying, you know, if you want to learn how to write, you just read, 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 and write, write, write. So script writing is exactly the same. Read lots of scripts. What I find really strange is um, participants in my workshops and people who come to my talks and stuff, I'm like, how many of you have read a feature film script? And like out of the 40 people, maybe it's a South African thing, but not many people have read a feature film script, but they want to write movies because they've watched lots of movies. So they think because they're a movie fan and they like to watch movies that they can write scripts. And I'm like, but you've never seen this document of a script properly. You may have read, you know, uh, transcriptions of scripts, but you've never looked at the formatting and the layout and the style and the structure and all this kind of thing. So I would say just read as many scripts as you can and they're all available online. You know, there are websites where you can get them and just because I mean, I think that's how we learn. It's just from reading. And I mean, if you read many, many feature film scripts, then you'll end up writing feature film. That's the, for me, that's the fast track to writing good scripts is reading lots of scripts. And they're there, it's available. You can read the screenwriting books on how to write scripts, but really, if you just read the scripts, lots of them, and keep up to date with what's happening and the trends of the writing styles and how things are changing through the years. So, you know, don't just read Casablanca and Chinatown because there are certain formatting at a certain time. Read current scripts as well. If you're interested in TV series, read TV series scripts because they're also written in a different style. And then you start to see the writer's voice. And then perhaps from that, you can start writing your own voice. So I would say the fast track is just read loads of scripts. Then, of course, write loads of scripts. I guess I'd learned through my directing and producing that experience breeds experience. And, and that's what pushed me forward. So it's the same with my writing. I wasn't reading books. I was just writing. And, and what reading I was doing was other people's work. What's working for them? What are they doing that I'm not doing in my scripts? And I would never try to emulate their voice because um, every great script writer, you can read it and you can almost go, I know who wrote this. Would never try to emulate that. But I would just, from a broad stroke standpoint, look and go, what are they doing that's so great? You know, you... Obviously, the best script screenplays I've ever read, as I'm reading it, I visualize the movie. I don't even think about the writing. It just pulls you into such a degree that before you know it, you've gone through it and you've been perfectly visualizing the film and you don't feel yourself turning the pages. You don't feel yourself reading the paragraphs. How do I get to that point? So I would read these guys and read them and read them and just try to make my own writing better. And I'm still doing that to this day always trying to push myself to be better. I read a Sid Field book when I started out and um, I had read it uh, and I liked some of what he had to say. And I read How to Be a Screenplay or whatever, some book, you know, for dummies or something, How to Be a Screenplay. That, that didn't do anything <laughs> for me. Uh, once in a while these books work uh, when they tell you things to avoid. Um, I think those when you when you get a, when you go to the store, you're going to see 75 books that say how to be a screenwriter. I would say the most valuable aspect of those books are are often the parts where they tell you to avoid um, the things they say, stay away from, you know, because there are cliches, there are a lot of them, and when people in the film industry read those cliches over and over again, um, you know, they. It, it, it has an effect on them. Um, my, I got my experience from reading my favorite movies or my favorite screenplays. So I, uh, and I remember when I opened up Sid Field's book, uh, I think his first one, he was talking about Chinatown. 
and he's talking about how he thinks it might be one of the best, or the best screenplay of the 1970s, he said. And I had just at that time gotten into Chinatown. I had watched it like eight times in a row. I was, you know, whatever. I was 18 years old. I had just really discovered it. And I loved it. It's what made me want to be a screenwriter. And then to see him say that in his prologue, I was like, oh, okay, now I want to be on this guy's. And I read Chinatown. I read, I remember I read uh, Shawshank Redemption and American Beauty. And uh, well, I wanted to read American Beauty because uh, a lot of people don't know this, but it has a whole different ending than the movie. You know, I wanted to read the shooting screenplays and see how different they were from the, the, uh, the actual movie. I read, I got a lot of uh, information I felt from, a, from, a script, from the screenplay for The People versus Larry Flint. Um, reason being, uh, that is based on a, on a true story, obviously. Larry Flint, I think, had eight wives. And in the movie, there's just Courtney Love. And that was just a revelation to me, you know, that you can, in order to make a movie work in a certain time period, here's how you can cheat the numbers and still be mostly true. Um, that was obviously a big cheat, but uh, The People versus Larry Flint, I remember, what, and Shawshank were big ones for me for learning a lot about uh, the, the formatting of the script and, you know, how much action and how little action you need when you when you're at your heading and things like that. The formatting is very important. You know, the aesthetic is very important. And, and I, I basically learned by reading screenplays. We had the first semester, we had three classes. Um, we had uh, an introduction to screenplay analysis, and that was with Professor Edson. And that was the beginning of his sort of explanation of, of screenplay structure. Um, we didn't actually write in that class, but that first class was sort of like a, a top level introduction to the terms that he would be using, um, kind of a general overview of what the structure paradigm is, uh, and then sort of an assignment where we had to watch a film and then break down the first act of that film of what happens in every single scene. Um, and so that sort of built on to more things that we would learn later where we would do breakdowns of entire scripts, of entire films. Uh, but that first class was just sort of an introduction of terms uh, and a basic overview of what the structure was. This is where one area I feel pretty confident that I understand pretty well. I used to teach a class called the History of American Screenwriting, which was created by uh, my colleague down at the University of North Carolina, Dana Cohen. And I taught that class, I think, four times. And it was really a brilliant class because it would go decade by decade, starting with like the 1890s. Every week was like a different decade, 1900s and 1910s, 1920s. And so you're studying the evolution of screenwriting and filmmaking, particularly in the United States, and the role of the screenwriter in the process, particularly in Hollywood. One of the things that we did in that class was we looked at screenplay structure and format and style as it evolved over time. In fact, the term screenplay didn't really come into existence until the 30s and 40s. Before then, it was known, well, it was basically just a, a, a shot list. And then it became known as a continuity during the silent film era. But then once talkies came along, then they started bringing in, Hollywood started to bring in all these playwrights to the, the dialogue, right? And so then it became a screenplay, two words. So if you look, at movies from the 30s and even into the 40s, you'll oftentimes see that credit being screen play as a screen version of a play. 
So then eventually screenplays kind of became a little bit more of their own thing and we joined them together as screenplay. So uh, I've studied this quite, uh, you know, comprehensively and I know for a fact that it's always evolving. So that always cracks me up when people say, well, you can't do this or you have to do that. It's always evolving. It's constantly evolving. So for example, um, if you look at if you look at scripts from there were no things as selling scripts or spec scripts back in the 40s and 50s and 60s it was all for hire well 40s and 50s 30s 40s and 50s and so it was all all these things were filled with shots you know close up zoom in all that stuff what happened once the spec script market evolved was directors said well, we don't want it we don't want you to tell us how to direct the movie we're directors we're going to do that so then we pulled out that Generally speaking, we pulled out that camera jargon and directing lingo. And so that led to the whole we see, we move, we hear. And then that started to get a bit tiresome. And so then what we started to do was just, just describe what's happening. And so then when I first broke in, it was like, okay, so every paragraph you should try to have no more than five lines, as opposed to like these big blocks of 15, 20, 30 lines, because it's much easier to read. Script readers are, in effect, the threshold guardians of Hollywood. And we try to make it as easy for them to read as possible. Nowadays, um, I think that you know the general feeling, and this is not a rule, but the general feeling is that the paragraph should be no longer than three lines. But a, be a better way to think about it is not like that sort of regimented thing. I think the better way to think about it is each line of scene description, each paragraph of scene description, that's a way of indicating a camera shot. You're not saying it's a camera shot, but if you think about the scene as you're writing it, and you're thinking, okay, that's a close-up. I see that as a close-up, and I see this as a, uh, as a wide shot, and I see this as a medium shot. Now, you're not saying that in the script, but you're breaking up each paragraph to suggest that that's a camera shot. That's a great way to not only direct the action on the page, but also ensure that your paragraphs aren't that long. You're breaking them up into one, two, or three lines. So scripts today, this is why it's important. Yeah, it's great to read the older scripts, but it's really important to read the scripts that come out nowadays because the styles are constantly changing. We're seeing something happening right now, and I don't know if it's going to continue to go this way, but including images in scripts. Like if you read the script that um, Brian Woods and Scott Beck did for A Quiet Place, it has an image of their Monopoly board. It's got uh, an image comparing like uh, the Statue of Liberty and I think the Eiffel Tower and then this big tower that's out in the field there just so you get a sense of it. They change font sizes. They use uh, one page has like a word on it or even a letter, you know. Um, so it's much more visually graphic and I guess it makes sense because movies are primarily a visual medium. Some people may resist that as being kind of um, a cheat, but we're starting to see some of that now. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. It could be that we eventually, that's what screenplays become. They do include images. And you could certainly make an argument that why not? Because again, it's a, it's a visual medium. So it's constantly in a, a, a state of change, which is why if anybody tells you you can't do this or you have to do that, then, then you know you're not talking to the right people. You need to read scripts by professional screenwriters and see what they do and realize that we have a lot of latitude to tell the story the best way it needs to be told.
My first script that I ever wrote does not exist anymore anywhere in this world, I hope. There's no digital copy of it. It was terrible. Um, it probably had a lot of formatting errors. It was, it was just, you know, it wasn't terrible. It was just misguided youth, enthusiasm of youth. Um, so you've got to write quite a lot to get that stuff out of your system, I think. Or, you know, you get the genius writer who may write a first script and it's like fantastic. But I'd say write a few times and see how it works. Get feedback as well from people who are not your mother or your best friend. And, and then rewrite that script and then you'll start to get somewhere. Yeah, I'd, I suppose that's the fast track to, to writing. I had an English teacher, Mr. Pomeroy, in 10th grade back at Penwood in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Um, and he said, people always say you become a better writer by reading. And he said, that's not true. You become a better writer by writing. And he would say to us every day into his class, he would say, write. That would be his first word when we got into the room. And we would write. And there it was the most amazing class. It was an AP class, and it was either you got an A or an F. Oh, wow. There was no grading <laughs> of the papers, nothing. It was either you did the work, you tried, you got an A. You didn't do the work, you're not trying, you get an F. So everyone in that class, they wrote. And we grew leaps and bounds without boundaries. It wasn't like, oh, am I getting an B? Or it was just writing and that that was very freeing and i think that kind of gave me the mindset that i have um, now where if i want to be a better writer i need to write if i want to be a better whatever i need to do it so i applied that thing that uh, he told me i think of him very fondly very often because um, he encouraged me in a way that was invaluable just to write and that it was good and that i could impact people with it i never went to any master programs i never went to any film programs that specifically taught me my craft. Um, as I'd mentioned, CU was more about film theory and, and various things like that. It didn't really teach me in great depth what you need to do as a director or a writer. I had to learn all that on my own. Whether I did it right or wrong, who's to say? But for me, um, as I'd alluded to before, I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. and. Through all that writing, through all those years, you start to find your own voice. And um, when I wasn't writing, I was reading. Again, great scripts, different kinds of scripts. The more type of scripts, the better. Um, <clears throat> different styles, you know, you never want to get attached to one person's style because you might start to emulate it. I mean, read different styles and go, gosh, this is amazing. I never thought you could do it this way. And what I eventually earned, learned through the years is, is um, when I'm writing my scripts, I don't just want to write a scene or write a story. Um, I bring literally the words, the structure of the sentences themselves to life. I break things apart, certain descriptions, certain ways I do it depending on the project. It should be an experience to read it. And it should be something that literally pulls the reader from one page to the next to where they can't stop. If your script doesn't hook the reader on the first page, you're done. That's just the reality is, is a lot of agents and, and managers will joke, well, I'll give you the old five page rule. It was the rule of thumb. Some say 10, but that means I'll read the first five pages. And if it doesn't have me, I don't read the rest because these guys are reading hundreds of scripts a week. They don't got time. And they've got a good radar. They know what gets it. In my personal opinion, I think they give it half a page or a page. If your script just isn't really good both from a grammat grammatical, structural, story standpoint, whatever it is, immediately um, you're not going to gain any traction with them. So that's the goal as a writer, is you keep writing. And, and when I was teaching myself to write, I, I aspired to get to that point. I want to pull them in from the first sentence and never let them go. And 
how to achieve that in a variety of different genres and you know whatever your story is about was a challenge and you just keep working on it until you get it. We had uh, a class called um, Sh uh, the short screenplay and that was a class where we needed to write uh, a 30 to 45 page script that could be anything. Uh, it could be a TV pilot, it could be uh, a beginning of a feature, it could be a web series, pretty much whatever we wanted. But that was taught by another professor, his name is Jared Rappaport, uh, a much more freer sort of experience. Um, he's a very, he's, I love him so much, he's such a great professor. He, he's definitely the opposite of Professor Edson in that he's very free-flowing. And he's very, you know, follow your muse and follow your inspiration and stuff like that. Um, and every bit the successful screenwriter that, that Professor Edson was. Um, but we started that first class with some guided meditation. Oh, cool. If that's any guide yeah, to what that was. I like that. Uh -huh. um, and it was just sort of us talking about ideas and sort of tapping into the things that make us want to be writers and the stories that we want to tell. So it was much more sort of an, an individualistic class and figuring out what it is that you want to say. Uh, so that's what that was. It was a, you know, a couple exercises and in figuring out what are the, the conflicts that you're most interested in. What are the types of people that you're most interested in? And then based on that, you sort of figure out and you sort of back into a writing project that will help you explore that. So for some of us, like I ended up writing um, a spec script for an HBO show called Room 104 that, that dealt with a dysfunctional family because that's, that's kind of the, the thing that I'm really interested in. Um, other students wrote the beginnings of features, like the first acts of features, that sort of stuff. Um, but there were all different uh, types of projects there. I'd ask them if they had an idea, and then I would just say, pull out your laptop or your notebook with your pen and start writing it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even tell them about format. I would just be like, describe the movie. Everybody knows what a movie is. Everybody knows, everybody's seen it. They're, like Our visual vocabulary is so high especially now, 2018, 2019. I mean, you know, anybody can describe it. The, the problem is we still, when we start educating people, we're like, read six books, these six books, take this course, do this stuff, watch this video. You know, like, it's like- <laughs> But not this video. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you can watch this video, but that's what I would do. If somebody was like, I wanna write a movie and I don't know anything about it, I'd be like, what do you wanna write about? Like, what's your idea? And they probably have the idea. They're not like, well, I don't know what the idea is. Though they're going to be like, well, actually, I want to write about this guy who wants to do this thing. And I'd be like, okay, start describing it. Just describe it. And then I might say something like, don't, don't talk, don't describe their thoughts and don't describe their feelings, any character. Don't describe the insides. Just describe what you would see on a, on a movie screen. You know, just like, and you know, exterior house day, man walks across and gets in the car, drives away. You know, do not care about doing anything wrong. Just spill your guts, just tell us the movie. Write down the whole movie. We'll figure all that other stuff later. You can figure out where things are supposed to be later. You can figure out everything. I mean, you know, there's so many stories about that where they didn't know what they were doing. You know, they wrote Bridesmaids that way. They didn't know why they brought, they bought screenwriting for dummies or something like that, right? So it's like that fresh voice 
it's like, ah, oh, it breaks my heart thinking about all the people that are, that think they have because we've created this industry where it's all coded and they got to go take, oh, you got to learn. You have to learn structure. You have to learn this. You've got to learn all these things. You got to know what a screenplay is, man. You got to know what the rules are before you break them. That's all crap to sell books and all sorts of stuff. It doesn't it's it we oh god please bring them in that don't know anything about movies and maybe we'll have better movies i mean that's the problem it's like it's like all this other stuff it's like bring in that person it's just like i have as a teacher i have had people come in with formatting that's just like does not they don't know what they don't have access to final draft i don't know what they're writing and it's the most authentic slice of life funny succinct observational genius stuff and they don't know and the, the reason why it exists is because they haven't learned anything about screenwriting yet and then once you start teaching them then all of a sudden they they they, they don't know what they're doing then they don't then they lose their emotional connection they lose that story four-year-olds know how to tell a story they know how to tell a story. Ask a five-year-old, what happened today at school? Well, we went in, beginning, middle, and end, the inciting incident. You can tape it. You can go, inciting incident. So you guys should film courage to do. You should interview <laughs> a friggin' 10-year-old and then put the little flags in and be like, wow, they know all the structure already. So I don't have to go to so-and-so person's course or I don't have to take Gordy's class or anything. You know, you don't have to spend any money and keep your voice. That's the most important thing. I was a, it's like, don't lose your voice. Don't lose your instincts, your childlike instincts for telling stories. It's like, that's what guides us. And I always go back to that. I'm like, I don't care. The thing I just wrote for somebody that in all likelihood, people who are watching this video will see, I don't know what the structure is. I don't know where the act breaks are in it. And it's over 150 pages. Okay. It was a writer. I mean, and it's probably going to be seen by people watching this video directed by a very, very good top director. This is going to happen. And I have no idea what the structure of that is. I literally just took my ideas, plotted out the thing. Now, am I following the rules of character and emotional engagement to like develop and everything? Things you can reflect back on and be like, how do I make this better? But when you're telling me, when somebody's like, what's the five minute version of like somebody wants to write a movie, that's, they watch this video, what I just said. It goes without saying that one needs to watch lots of movies or television and be you know, steeped in that world. Yeah, and I, that's a good, point you just made, watch, watch a lot of movies, watch some good movies. You can learn a lot from that. What some people will do, because you know, writing a scene with a lot of dialogue can be tricky, because once you film it and you go, boy, this is so, it's just a bunch of talking heads. This is so dialogue heavy. Watch a great scene between two characters talking in a movie, and then write it down. Most of the time, not all the time. With Aaron Sorkin, it might be a different choice, or, or a different uh, circumstance, but with most writers, once you write down the dialogue from one of your favorite movies, you'll see it's a lot shorter than you think. These guys know what they're doing. They know how to write something that, that doesn't turn into a five-page monologue. Watch a lot of movies. Watch them and learn from them. And then again, keep reading, um, reading lots of different screenplays. I don't think I ever learned to write screenplays or stage plays. I think I 
learned what was in a story that connected with people, and then figured out how to put that into lines. Um, and I think that's really what it is. People go to school and they read these books. They're trying to just find out what a story is and then how to relay it. But I think um, consuming all types of content really is a, a thing that can teach you that in such a way. Because it's like, okay, I watch movies. I go to the movies multiple times a week. It's my, I don't watch TV, but I go to the movies all the time. But I'm watching the audience too. Like, what was the moment where they kind of leaned back and kind of settled in? Or what was the moment that they reacted to it well? Or kind of seem a little disconnected out on their phones or whatever. Um, so yeah, stories connect with people. And if you know how to connect with people outside of the writing, you can tell a story and that's everybody. So everyone has some level of connection to people. So they can translate that to a paper, then you're a writer. And I have learned to do that by doing it, doing it and, and hearing it and reading it and seeing it. Um, so reading scripts helps, yes. But you got to see the outcome of that script so go watch the movie. And you have to see the reaction that the movie had on the people, so go to the movies. And you become a better writer. The other thing as an exercise, and I think this is a very powerful exercise, it might not seem like fun, but it can be fun, is to watch if you're... I, I did this actually when I was in my 20s starting out. Uh, officer and a gentleman. And this is before you could download scripts on the internet. I did... I watched the whole movie and I wrote down as I was watching it what each scene was. So I had to pause a lot. But it, what it does is it really helps you understand and get a feel for rhythm and structure almost through osmosis, through that process of doing it. And the point of doing it isn't so you can go and you're not plagiarizing or copying. It's to get you to, to just um, understand rhythms of scenes and how they flow from one to the next and what and you you can see when you're doing it okay where is the, what's the act one the act one break usually it's supposed to be around page 27 in a feature so you see where that kind of flows when you're copying you know a script um, and it, you don't have to do every single line but it can be okay Richard um, Richard Gere is with his father they wake up right after they've had an evening of debauchery and hookers and Richard Gere is now off to uh, um, to training camp in the military then the next scene and I don't remember exactly but let's say the next scene is he's on a bus and we see exterior uh, the the facility then next scene, maybe we see Deborah Winger as a waitress. I don't remember everything, so forgive me. But it also gets you into the understanding, and the, that screenwriter is a wonderful screenwriter. The, it gets you into seeing how, when I was talking about not uh, including the dull bits, you can see beautiful juxtapositions. Like he's off to the military, and then maybe the next thing he's in line and being asked to salute. And uh, it, it's just, it's a wonderful exercise. This woman who is, uh, became a successful writer in television, she read pilots. So if you feel like you want to be a half hour person and if you want to do multicam and you feel like NBC, CBS, ABC style sitcoms are your thing, which are multicam versus single camera, which is more like a season, sorry, um, uh, and the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, Master of None, then get those scripts. Read them. See how they introduce the characters. See how distinct all the voices are. 
They're so distinct, and these will be some of your best teachers. Your first draft is not perfect. I mean, unless you're the next, you know, Robert Robert Town or, you know, somebody somebody who's got just this amazing ability to, to Kevin Smith with Clerks, even but I bet you that wasn't his first draft. Like, just because you finished it and it was really difficult doesn't mean it's perfect. So get feedback, stage table reads, listen to the advice that people give you, even if you don't like it. You're always gonna fight for some things. You don't have to take everyone's advice. You will never not learn something you didn't think of or didn't see as being a problem in your script the more people you ask to, to give their feedback and their input. Now, of course, sometimes you wanna do something weird and wild that people won't understand, and that's okay. You don't have to change it, but you have to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite get that feedback because it's so important to shape. There's no way that any one writer can have all the answers and, and bang out a perfect screenplay without that guidance and help. Pick who you share it with wisely and pick the time that you share it and the reason why you're sharing it and what you're looking for from sharing it and what you tell them you're looking for when you share it. But even if you do all those things, other people are out of our control and they might come back to you with opinions and reactions that are very uh, you know, unhelpful to you or emotionally discouraging or devastating to you and you may not be able to avoid that. I mean, you can certainly work on handling your own reactions, but you can't control what they're gonna say much as you might try. But if you're conscious about all those things and sort of being targeted in who you're sharing and why and all those things, and also noticing that they may say things I don't like and I don't have to let it destroy my opinion about whatever I'm writing. However, I am open, I'm doing it because I'm open to hearing other opinions and I wanna have a sense of how others are reacting to it. Any one person is not enough though. It's probably you need a consensus of people and people who know something about what you're trying to do, people that understand the craft are a more valuable opinion than just kind of friends or even other aspiring writers may not be as valuable of an opinion to you. So you always have to take what others say with somewhat of a grain of salt, I think, while being open to if I get a lot of the same opinion maybe there's something worth looking at there. I think it, a lot of it is you have to be like a detective who's interested in knowing what are the things that aren't working for people and then I'll figure out why and I'll figure out how to solve them. If they say you should do this other thing instead, don't listen to that. Don't try to do their fixes, but listen to what their issues are, which they may not even be articulating because people try to be helpful and tell you, what if you did this instead? What you really wanna know is why do you not like what I did do? And people sometimes don't want to say it because it's too hurtful, like I was bored, I didn't care, stuff like that. Or they may not even know how to articulate it, they just might know I didn't like it, you know, which isn't helpful, which is why we try to codify some of these things of what makes someone like or not like something, right? So we can learn from that. So. I think it's um, you know trusting that your own voice has value and that you will find your way to address whatever problems you decide you agree are problems takes the power away from the other random subjective people who are gonna say whatever it is they're gonna say. Yeah, I'm very careful and selective about when I share stuff and who I share it with because I know I'll have a tendency to get very upset <laughs> depending on what people say. And sometimes it can threaten to derail me from whatever it is I'm trying to do or thinking there's any value in it. So I've really learned to be, to really be careful and to, to do it with the right people at the right times for the right reasons. At the right times, interesting. At do the right times in the process, because uh -huh. sometimes you're ready. It really helps if you've moved on to another project and you're not even thinking about this one anymore. 
to then show it to people because then if they don't like it as much, you already have this other one that you're now interested in. <laughs> so I'm a big believer in putting one down, maybe not even show it to anyone right away, work on something else, come back to the first one and you'll have new perspective and you'll see things you want to change. So you make your own change. You never had to show it to anyone at that point, right? But eventually when you do show it, maybe you have a couple other things that you're working on so that that one script isn't your whole world anymore. Right, because when you're in the middle of it, it's your baby, and you better not have your baby get abused by other people. Right, right. so it, it helps to get that distance from it, and uh, a lot of it is you get your own distance from it. You'll be able to give yourself notes that you couldn't do when you were in the middle of it. Yeah, that's another thing I got from the War of Art. He talked uh, Stephen Pressfield somewhere. I, I noticed him saying he would like finish a project every six months, and I said to myself a while back, I'm going to write two scripts a year to the point where I feel they're, they're kind of finished. They've gone through multiple drafts of my own notes. Maybe no one else's notes have yet come into play, but they've really been rewritten significantly based on my own notes. And the way I get there is by taking a pause, moving away, coming back a couple months later to like finish one, but always have multiple scripts in the hopper. So some are done, some are semi-done, some you've just started, and so it becomes a little more of a factory as opposed to I have this one project I've been working on for three years and it's all I ever think about every day, and if someone doesn't like it, I'm devastated. You know, that is not the most helpful way to go, and I've done that. Here's something that I would advise any screenwriter to do who's starting out. You have a screenplay, don't uh, send the PDF to a person and ask them to read it. It's just, you're never going to get anything like that. What you have to do is you have to make it a special thing. You have to say, what we did was we took 10 friends, some in the industry, some not in the industry. We didn't know many people in the industry, but you know, friends who we trusted and thought they were smart. And we said, we have a hard copy of the screenplay. Um, we'd like you to come over to, we had an office that he, my, my uh, co-writer was working for a, um, um, someone in office in Manhattan. We would like you to come over to the office, if you wouldn't mind. We're not going to stand over you like, uh, you know, uh, um, Funny Farm and like, you know, watch you read the pages or whatever. Uh, but we'd like you to read it and we'll walk away. We'll be gone for a couple hours. You can write notes, whatever. You can bash it. We don't care. We just want like 10 different people's point of view. So that's what we did. We, we had 10 people read it. Uh, like they couldn't leave with it. They couldn't take it. We didn't, you know, that way we know they're going to read it, you know. Uh, and um, and we're not going to stand over their shoulder. We like left the office, came back, and then we sit down with them and we just talk it out with them. We took all their notes. We decided what we what we were feeling and and where the sort of the consensus notes were. And then we went right back into it. And 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 two weeks later, we had like a script that we were able to we felt could uh, perhaps be given to people to of of note. Think about it in terms of being on the other side of the coin. Mm -hmm. If your friend sends a PDF, a 100-page PDF of you of something, and maybe, by the way, you're not a screenwriter, you're like their friend, and you don't really read screenplays a lot, it's a, seem, it's, it's a daunting task. It's a task that, you know, uh, I don't know how to explain it. You could be excited about reading a screenplay that comes into your inbox, but generally speaking, in the, the age we live in, with emails and social media and all these things going on for people to get distracted by, to read your friend or your cousin's or your second cousin, your friend's brother's uncle's screenplay or whatever, you know, we felt 
that no one's going to read our script if we just send them a PDF of it. We felt, let's just set a time for them to read it, not like be, not be in the room when they read it, but that way they'll read it, and then right after they read it, we get their fresh, unfiltered, you know, like feelings about the screenplay. And then if we see things from like, if six out of the 10 of them are saying, this is no good, well then, you know, we know that's something we got to work on. One of my students from online um, is now a very, very successful TV showrunner and soon to be directing a, a, a movie that she wrote. Um, and I had her, it's Lisa Joy, she is co-executive producer of Westworld. And she came to a class that I taught at, at Westwood for a weekend seminar. And that question, they posed that question to her. And she said, well, I was working as a lawyer and, and before that I was going to law school. And the way I approached it was, I'm going to act like I am a professional screenwriter. I'm going to approach this like a job. And so obviously, you know, how do you do that in terms of hours? But set that aside, that's the mentality to have. And you have to really immerse yourself in it. And it's not just about writing the script, it's about learning the craft. And so one of those things that I came up with years ago from my blog, which is watch movies, read script, write pages. Those three things are absolutely essential. You've got to watch movies. Sometimes you just kind of kick back and enjoy it. But then there are other times you stop it scene by scene and you write a scene by scene breakdown and you're looking for where the plot line points land, the major events that twist the plot in a new direction. You're looking at subplots and those little mini stories, MINI stories and how they play into the, to the A story. You're looking at characters in terms of their transformation arc. So there's watching movies and sometimes you do it in a very rigorous fashion. Then reading scripts, similarly, you can just sit there and just kind of blow through a script and enjoy it. But then you can also do the same thing. You can do a scene by scene breakdown. You're doing the same sort of analysis that you would if you were watching a movie. And then of course, writing pages. And you know, I have this thing I came up with on my blog that seems to be quite popular, which is one, two, seven, 14. One is read one script per week. Two is watch two movies per week. Seven is write one page a day, seven pages. And 14 is 14 hours a week. You should be basically two hours a day. You're researching another project. You're rewriting a project. You're doing character development. You're doing story development. You're generating and assessing story ideas. You're tracking trends. You're reading the trades. You know, if you want to do this, if you really want to do this, you have to understand that you are competing against people who are very serious minded and have a lot of talent. It's not easy. In fact, the odds against success are just enormous. But the way to do it is to approach it like you're a professional. And so if you can carve out 20 hours a week, or let's say 16 hours a week, you know, two hours a day, you know, as opposed to uh, going and, and eating lunch, you know, with the buddies for an hour and a half, well, no, use that time to actually do some work as a writer. You know, you need to learn the craft and then exhibit what you've learned on the page so that when you've written that script, um, it speaks to someone, you know, someone will get it and see that this is a professional writer. But you should definitely then start trying to figure out what all the rest of those elements are. So figuring out what the world is, knowing what the tone is. A lot of people may not think about tone, but tone matters. Uh, tone is that, um, that, that, um, 
that that feeling that makes this different from slapstick comedy, regular comedy, romantic comedy into kind of a comedic drama that is now more regular drama, family drama that ends up now this gritty thriller thing. So it, it's kind of like the, the nuance <laughs> between the genres, right? Like what that tone is. Um, and then knowing who your characters are, knowing who's gonna go on this journey, figuring out why we should care about them, um, uh, figuring out how we're gonna relate to them and relating to them doesn't have to mean liking them, we just have to relate. Um, then knowing what goal they're after, because anything that's on TV, anything that's on, uh, anything that's a feature is about a character reaching a goal. That's why we're here. We don't want to just see people go through their day-to-day -day lives, right? We want to see like they're after something or something's after them, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, but they have a goal. Um, figuring out what the stakes are. The stakes are going to be the why. Why am I here? Why do I care? What's, what's going on? What are they going to win? What are they going to lose? Um, because if not, then why do I care if they reach the goal? If they don't, if there's nothing at stake for them, then I am going to be that much less invested. Um, and people usually know what the end is. People usually kind of know what the setup is and they kind of know what the resolution is, right? It's the second act where everyone kind of falls apart. And it's because we really don't start asking, our, asking ourselves, how, how are they going to get from A to B? So I personally feel like everyone should write an outline. There are gonna be writers who are reading this like, ha, I've never written an outline and I've done great. That's great. You might have that special skill, <laughs> you know? You also might be a person who doesn't mind rewriting 15 times because no matter what, you're gonna rewrite, right? I think by writing the outline, you cut down the number of rewrites because your first draft isn't as terrible because you've actually plotted out what it is you're going to do. So you didn't just start at the blank page and start writing and just like, you know, oh, well maybe they'll go this way and maybe they go that way. Because as soon as you change one thing, what does it do? Changes everything else, there's a domino effect. If you're doing that in outline form, for some people that's putting it on cards, some people that's putting it on a whiteboard, you know, now you just erase that one little part and write it, write it back or you move your, your cards around because you realize this scene could probably be best there and it heightens the stakes if we make this thing happen here. I do mine in a Word document and I put um, the actual uh, scene heading on top and then whatever's happening in that scene so I can copy and paste that whole little thing all over the place if I want to. So it's easier to kind of see your story on paper and move it around as much as you'd like before it gets into script format. Then it becomes a little harder to do that. So if you have an outline and you really understand how does this person get from A to C? What happens during B? What do they physically do? So I'm always asking, how? And so people will then answer that with, with a general answer. And I'll go, no, no, no. I want to know what the character is physically doing. Like, what am I watching them do? And you can say, well, they're saving the world. <laughs> how? Are they saving the world by going to Starbucks? Are they saving the world by having to go confront a bad guy? Yes, they have to confront the bad guy. How? How do they find him? Where was he? Was he just down the street? Was he, you know, in another country? He's in another country. How do they get there? <laughs> you know, do they take a bus? Do they take a train? Do they have to fly? Do they swim? You know, like all of these little details about how we actually get from A to C are the things that people don't think about until they're on the page and then they're, then they're stuck and they stop. And they're like, I can't get past this part. And it's like, yeah, because you didn't think about that part until you got here. 
But if you took some time to figure it out before you get to the writing part, now the writing is fun because you got your notes and you're like, oh, okay, this is what's supposed to be happening right now. Oh, okay, I get it. And now it can happen a, a little more clean than it would have if you just went straight to the page. And so now maybe instead of doing five rewrites, you only have to do two. So I teach a whole class called No Writer's Block and that's what we do. We learn screenplay structure and by the end of it, you have an outline so that you can go write whatever it is you wanna write. Also, because you're learning screenplay structure, now you can outline anything. Now you know the structure of anything. So it's not just, oh, well I figured the outline out for this idea, now what? It's like, no, any idea can fall straight into that same place so that you feel more confident because that's the other, that's the, where writer's block comes from is that you just, you're not confident in what you're doing. But if you have a plan already, right? It's like we were talking about earlier. If I've already printed out my directions or if I have my Google Maps on my phone, then I know where I'm going. I say, I can't, I can't, this is not a good example. I was gonna say, I can say I wanna drive to Louisiana, but if I don't look it up, I can't get there. I happen to know where Louisiana is from here. <laughs> so I could probably get there. But there are other people who are like, who would have no idea that they can get on I-10 and get all the way <laughs> to Louisiana. Some people might not know that. But, um, so they would need to have those directions. If you don't have those directions, now you're veering you know, left and now you've taken a wrong turn and now you've done X, Y, and Z and you've wasted however many hours trying to get there when you could have had a straight shot if you just had the directions. So to me, that's what an outline is. It's your Google Maps so that you know where you're going. So I think beginning writers should definitely start in that place. Well, start by learning structure, right? Start by understanding what elements it takes to have a story and then outline. Every writer has to find their own process. So outlines don't work for everybody. Beat sheets don't work for everybody. Treatments don't work for everybody. You have to figure out what works well for you because I'm always thinking about what's efficient and effective for me most of the time because if I'm writing a short, I only need to know the big beats, right? I don't have to outline the whole thing, you know? If I'm writing a feature, I need to outline the whole thing because I don't, I don't wanna get stuck in the screenplay part. That's frustrating for me in my process. But if that's the part of the process that you enjoy, you can do it that way. I don't, I don't tell people that it's like a must, but I do tell people, especially people who are learning or people who aren't learning, but they've been writing for a while and they're trying to make it more efficient. You know, So it's like, no, I've never outlined before, but I always end up getting there. It's like, yeah, but do you get there in a year? Because you might be able to get there in three months. You know, maybe depending upon what else you have going on in your life, you know, so definitely people don't have to do it that way. I think you have to figure out what your process is and and make sure that that process is efficient for you. Again, if you're trying to be a professional writer, because you're trying, that means you're trying to write more than one thing a year, maybe sell more than one thing a year. You can't do that if everything that you write takes, you know, 15 drafts in two years to write. So you want to look for something. Uh, that's more efficient. And for me, writing the outline is just more efficient. And then to make it really good, tap into what only you can bring into the script. So it's all very well reading loads of scripts and writing loads of scripts if you're just going to write another um, crime thriller or you know something that someone else can do better. What can you write? What's the only the story that only you can write, the stories that only you can write, or the themes that only you can write? If you can tap into that, then you are really putting something in there that is um, authentic and it'll re people will recognize it when they read it immediately. 
so I, I did a lot of script reading in the past and uh, for competitions and I, I've read too many scripts I, for, yeah, for my own sanity. But when you're reading them, you, you suddenly something just leaps off the page and that's an authenticity. It's a moment of, of realness, a real character moment, a real moment of subtlety, a real location, a real something that just leaps off the page. If you can put that in your scripts, then I really believe that you'll have an advantage over, over other scripts. So yeah, read lots of scripts and write the kind of scripts only you can write. I think the, the freedom my teacher gave me in writing could never be taken away. The reason I say that, the next year, 11th grade, I had the most, the teacher, it's like, you have to do it this way. There's no way you wrote this right now. Like she would have us do these journal entries and she's like, oh no, you didn't just write this. And I'm like, that's, that's how my thoughts come out. And she's like, okay. It was just like a very negative space, but I didn't lose what he gave me. I just like, well, let me see how I can better interact with this woman that wants me to do this and this and this. But I knew that I, I already achieved it and I had already experienced it. So that ex experiential learning, I kept with me through that moment and beyond. So I still feel a sense of freedom. I think for me, sometimes I feel so much a producer does and we get so boggled down with tasks. So if I could just take a moment just to write some things down, so totally disconnected from work, I always feel better. And I think that's something that he taught us. Like you can free yourself because you're getting your thoughts out, you're getting your thoughts organized, even for anyone, not just writers. So anyone that wants to kind of just bring themselves back to center, writing is a great way to do it. Um, so that freedom, yes, he, he, he established it and it, def it definitely continued on and continues on um, today. And I try to give that to other people as well. So don't, before I tell them what not to do, like just go. And that's in anything, like um, my wardrobe designer, my set designer, like no, just express, go. Like spend a day with it. Don't try to do it the way that fits into this. Just go for a day. And then some beautiful things could come out that might have been kind of pushed down um, by too much of a structure in a bad moment. You need the structure because then I need to come and make sure you're productive and all these things, but let them go first. And then you'll be surprised at how many beautiful things come out. And then the third class uh, was the one hour drama class. And that was taught by a woman named Lawrence Walsh Hodson. Um, she was a story editor on CSI Miami, uh, and she worked on a number of other shows as a, as a TV writer. And that was sort of us coming up with the show that we wanted to write a spec for. So any one hour show we could write for, and it was us just sort of talking about the different types of one hour shows, the different genres, um, you know, serialized shows um, versus, uh, you know, kind of case of the week shows and really just sort of that first class was sort of boiling down what we had wanted to tackle for the semester and just sort of talking about life in the writer's room and, and stuff like that. Uh, so that was fun. I ended up picking uh, Black Mirror as a show that I wanted to write a spec for because there's a structure to it, but every episode is unique and not really connected to the others. Um, so I was kind of cheating. I wanted to, to write a story as a feature. So I thought if I did it as a Black Mirror spec, that would work. Um, so yeah, those were the, the first three classes that week. Um, it was, that first week wasn't that stressful because as all semesters, you have sort of a beginning and an intro before you really get into the work and the real meat uh, of, the, of the semester. Uh, but it was a, a great sort of, you know, first step into, you know, what would be two years of studying writing. Probably the most important perspective has been 
to see it as something I'm always learning and I'm always growing and that that's okay. It's not like I'm supposed to know it all and be perfect at it and the things that I write are gonna just be great automatically and others are gonna love them. To see it more as it's an ongoing quest of kind of a self-development, self-education. I'm learning with everything that I write what works better and and, and not as good so that it's like, uh, it's like this, this journey of development that you sort of like are going to enjoy the journey as opposed to I have to get to a certain place, which it's easy to feel that way because the world works that way where I have to get the agent, I have to get the sale, I have to get something produced, I have to raise the money and make my movie. Like there's all these goals we might have in the world and a lot of times they're out of our control. And if you focus only on those goals, like what I can get, what I can achieve, instead of what can I express? How can I just do what I decide I want to do, which is be a writer and be learning and growing and find some satisfaction in that journey? Because when you turn it into, there have to be these quantifiable results in terms of money or others' reactions or whatever, then you're putting all your power in this thing that may or may not ever happen, that you can't for sure make happen no matter what you do. So I think that attitude, it might seem counterproductive because it's like, well, to be successful, you want to, you know, professional, you want to focus on the professional goals, right? Well, you, you do to some extent and you are open to feedback and you are list, you, know, you are educating yourself. I didn't say just go in a hole and just do what you want to do and never and shut the outside world out. I'm saying engage with the world, with feedback, with education, with trying to understand and get better so it's growth, but making it a positive growth for yourself that is about making me better and making my writing better, not making my results better. Because when you focus on how do I give more, how do I write something that's really gonna impact people more, how do I do that? How do I figure out how to do it? How do I get better at it? You're then about giving to other people and you will achieve success I believe more when you succeed at giving more, you will get more automatically as opposed to how do I get the success? How do I get the breaks? How do I get the right person to read it? How do I get people to like it? It's more how do I create something so wonderful that people will just automatically like it? I'm not even concerning myself with that. So it's like taking the power into your own hands and being about how you can improve your stuff and yourself as a writer, having that approach, I think, is a is a stronger, healthier approach that's gonna to lead to success more than if you do it the other way. It's like an everyday practice, that thing again. Right. An everyday practice of being about, I'm just about the purity of expression and growth and learning and improving as opposed to the, how do I get the result that I want from others? It's because it, we don't naturally do it that way. <laughs> we have to sort of like decide that's how I'm going to approach this instead. I do think it really is about making the daily practice, journey, writing, whatever, enjoyable. Being at peace, enjoying what you're doing each day. Finding a way to make it that way so that the journey is a positive journey and not be so caught up in the destination. Um, because if you enjoy what you're doing, you're gonna do it more, you're gonna do it better, you're gonna to wanna to learn more, but it comes from a certain level of confidence and trust that it's gonna, it, that it's, what you're doing is worthwhile. And if you measure that only in like money or career statistics, you know, you may never get there and you may always be insecure about that. So, um, but people that wanna write, usually there's more of like a passion, more of a purity of I just wanna do this for some reason. 
And so if you can really hold to that, uh, as opposed to thinking that what, what the results are of doing it is what matters so much, you probably have a better time doing it. You'll be happier, you'll be more productive and prolific, and the results usually actually will follow from that.